to A Wild New Work, a podcast about how to divest from capitalism and the norms of modern work and step into the soulful calling of these times we live in, which includes the call to rekindle our relationship with the earth. I'm Megan Leatherman, a mother to two small kids, coach, writer, and amateur ecologist living in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm your host today. Hi, friend, and welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. We are into the summer season now. The sun is in the sign of cancer. We're about a week in, and I just hope that you're finding ways to be with this time and whatever it needs to be for you, whether that's slowing down, increasing your joy, increasing aligned activity, whatever this time is about for you. I hope you're just finding ways to make that real in your day-to-day life. And this is an excellent time. You have extra support in doing so. So in the tarot, cancer corresponds to the chariot card or the chariot archetype. And when the fool enters into this season, if you will, the season of the chariot, it's an invitation to move out of that lover's Gemini mix and into a place of choice and precision where we are hearing the callings that we're getting we're answering those calls we have focus and dedication to where we want to flow into next where we want to go and there's extra heat and movement because we're doing so in a way that aligns with where life is going with the vitality that's all around us This time of year, this season, I'm always thinking about riverbanks and just the sort of extra flow of that unique channel of water. And our daily lives can be channels through which our unique soulful selves and our gifts, our talents, our pain, our wisdom, our insights can flow through. And if that sounds preposterous, I understand. A lot of us have these ideas that things should be more like this vast delta or like the water should all be spread out everywhere, (laughs) our energy just sort of diffuse. And of course, there are ecosystems that need that and really benefit from that yearly just flooding. And maybe that's how you are. But in cancer season, I'm always noticing these channels, these contained channels of water. And I'm thinking about how life is includes work, of course, like even if we lived way, way before civilization, even we would have had to find ways to feed ourselves and have shelter and have clothing. And that's all true. But I don't think that life was ever meant to be about spending most of our vitality in areas that are completely draining and harmful to the planet and to us, and then kind of keeping whatever we can for the rest of life. My sense, and it may not, this is a work in progress, it may not be true for everyone. It's certainly not true for everyone throughout history, but I'm feeling the ripeness of this idea right now that our lives really can be wide, full channels for life to flow through. Our life, our joy, our vitality, our energy, our spark, the things that we came into this lifetime with, that our daily lives can be openings and gateways for the part of us that is spirit to flow through. There's a part of you that came from who knows where. I don't know where you'll go after this lifetime, but there's a part of you that chose to come to this planet right now and live. 
And so all of these themes at play right now come up and line up so beautifully with the work of our guest today, Amanda Verdery Young. I'm so excited to share her insights. I think she has a really unique and lovely perspective on how to live in a soulful way, how to live in a way that is a channel for more of of the soul, the spirit to come through. Before I introduce Amanda, I just want to let you know that I'm taking a couple little podcast breaks in July. I'll be traveling, and so the next episode will come out July 11th and then July 25th. So let me introduce Amanda to you. Amanda Verdery Young is a soul guide, eco-mystical writer, and initiated Bonfassa, or medicine person in her Celtic ancestral tradition. Devoted to a wild romance between self, earth, and calling, she creates poetic, rebel sanctuary for tending one's deeper life. Her one-on-one mentorship program, shamanic healing services, and membership community orient around re-enchantment, self-love, and the greatest expression of our individual and collective medicine. So I have benefited Already, I haven't known Amanda or her work for very long, but I've benefited so much already from her writing, her perspective, her weekly newsletters. I think they're so rich, so felt, and so obviously from her own journey doing this work. So I'm so grateful that she joins us today. I hope you love this conversation. I'm going to read us our opening invocation now, and then I'll shift over into our interview. So wherever you are, you can take a deep breath Maybe you feel your body in time and space. May each of us be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures that we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible, and I'm grateful to the Cowlitz and Clackamas tribes, among many others, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. Okay, well, Amanda, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me here. I would love to start by getting your thoughts on some of these like very big sort of spiritual words or terms that we use that also inform our work and meaning making in life. Like a lot of times I'll even throw out words like, you know, destiny or we use purpose or calling or vocation. And I think you have a really unique perspective on what these actually are. And I'd love to just kind of ground us in how you work with them and then sort of take us from there. Yeah, surely. The first thing that I think is important for me to say is that, you know, I don't know for sure, right? These are, these are mysteries to be lived for sure. And that's my first and most important way in is I'm not sure. Let me see, you know? And so what I can share is what, what I've experienced and what I see, you know, in the people that I work with all the time and in what I've learned with my mentors and, and my lineages and guides and teachers. So, and I'll kind of weave in some of those influences, but I think if we're going to talk about, you know, destiny and calling and purpose and vocation, the most important word that sort of all of that orbits around is the word longing, right? So, so really we have these longings in life and sometimes they're really hard to name or quite put our finger on. And the longing is sort of becomes 
this magnet towards towards what towards whatever it is that we're longing for and so i kind of think of a calling as a place where our longing is sort of being met by the world in some way and for me i've come to see callings more as an ongoing thing like we have a lot of callings in our life and they might become sort of you know sequestered around a central star but i think for me what it is is that i'm called to something and when i reach or meet that something i'm called to something else and then to something else and to something else and over time this creates a kind of like a a momentum towards what you might call a purpose you know a reason for being here purpose for me is kind of like a for me is really another word for for our very soul, you know, for that part of us that is somehow we sense eternal, somehow bigger even than our corporeal bodies, and yet very much in need and to being in partnership with our bodies in order to, to express itself. And our soul knows why we came, you know, in, in my view, in my, in my experience. And we have to follow the callings towards it. The other thing I want to say about purpose, though, and I think this ties in with vocation, is that what I've really come to feel a purpose is, is like a, is like a way of belonging to the world, like a gift, like a teaching that you carry, a medicine that you have within you that you sort of just are in the world. And to understand it is to know your purpose. And from there, you get to choose, you know, what vocation or what ways would be best in order to give the world your gift. So one of my greatest influences is Bill Plotkin and the Animus Valley Institute. And they do what they call, they call soul initiation work, nature-based soul initiation work, believing that we all have this amazing opportunity right now to fully participate in regenerative earth culture, right? Amongst humans. He likes to call these vocations, as you will, a kind of delivery systems. So once we know like what our medicine is, what our purpose is, what our reason for coming is, our way of belonging to the world, then we can see like, well, what vocations could that really be beautifully expressed in? But the one thing I'll just add to that is it's not only our vocations or our jobs or the things that pay us, right, that can express our purpose. And I think that's a really big, in my view, misunderstanding out there today is I've got to find my purpose and that's going to naturally become what I like do for a living. But the freedom here is that, and what I've found is that in understanding my medicine and understanding yeah, like my uh, mythopoetic identity, as you might call it, I get to be that one in every area of my life. Like as a mother, with my spouse, when I'm tending my land, with my friendships, when I go to the movies, also when I write, also when I'm a soul guide and shamanic practitioner. It's like I'm always able to be that one. I'm always able to give that medicine, not just to humans, but to the more than human world as well. So maybe I'll just pause there <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I love that you wrap it up in this in longing that is so resonant. And I love that it 
shows us the helpfulness of longing, actually. I think in our culture, sometimes we think of longing as lack, as bad, as, you know, emptiness. And of course, we all know deep down that those are necessary parts of the cycle, that there has to be some emptiness or void from the thing for the thing to come through. And also that that longing, I think, is sort of just a core human experience. And I like that you frame it as this kind of guide that that will show us our callings and lead us into purpose. And yeah, I just think the way that you talk about it is so beautiful and so rich. Are you open to sharing a little bit about how these themes have shown up in your own life and how your callings have led you to this work now and how you've identified your purpose or your medicine? And then maybe we can dive into how some other ways that listeners can do that too. But could you speak a little bit about your own journey in this vein? Yes, yes. Of course, it's a very long and winding myth of its own, right? But I was thinking about it a little ahead of today. And yeah, what came through was just the the sort of beginning of what both, for example, like the Animus Valley Institute and also my own shamanic lineages and most earth-based spiritual paths would call a descent. So a downward into the underworld kind of time in one's life or times, doesn't necessarily have to be one, that tend to change us. Another word for that is initiation. And a big one came for me when my son was born. You know, I was so overjoyed to become a mother. And at the same time, you know, I experienced what the culture just kind of just blanketly calls PPD, like postpartum depression. (laughs) But what it really was for me was an identity, a full-on identity crisis met with the deepest longing to belong and to not sort of lose the thread of my belonging in becoming just like mother, you know, and at the same time wanting to show my son like what it looks like to live your life on purpose, to live a life that is driven by your reason for being, you know, you know, I knew I loved to write but I, but it was like the longing was moving beyond that, like what I want to be or do. It was like, who am I? It was existential. Like, who am I really though? And feeling this sense of incredible, like magic and enchantment about being a human, but not being able to really touch it. Like feeling as if there was just more to being human and I wasn't accessing it. And this is coming from I mean, I've lived a really adventurous life, you know, so this is saying something, you know, and uh, it was really deep. It was a sorrowful longing, right, that I couldn't deny for more, more understanding. Why am I here, really? Who am I on a on a mythic level? And I wouldn't, I didn't necessarily say it to myself that way, but that was the feeling of it, you know. And I decided to follow one of the callings, right, which was to write more publicly. And so I thought I would start a blog. And I started to look for a rare word for this blog because I thought that would be like cool, you know. And I stumbled upon, I was in this beautiful library surrounded by trees one day, very pregnant with my son. And I stumbled upon this word bombolate, which is the which is an archaic word that means like the sound of bees humming 
It's like the bzzz, it's the actual sound, right, of bees pollinating. And I just fell in love. It was like, I have goosebumps right now just telling you this story because it was one of those moments I was like, that's it. But the URL was taken, right? Now, this is such a funny, tiny thing, but I love it. It's like, have you seen the movie uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, or something like that? Something I've like heard that. good things, but no. So, yeah, so this idea that, yeah, as we follow our callings, sort of this is what I mean about the world meeting us, you know, it will just bump up against, right? So I started to think more deeply about what I was after, and really I realized I was so after storytelling. And so after this idea of, of bringing a different story to life, yeah, like about who we are and what's possible for us here. And I started to go through all these words of story, storytelling, and I found lore, which is like the, the best in my view ever, you know? And so I made up this word, bombalore, stories that hum, you know, the world to life. And after that happened, I started to be found by bees everywhere I went, everywhere I went and be people and beekeeping. And it's funny because just the other, just this weekend, I, for the first time, had the opportunity to suit up and go and actually interact with bees on that level and begin that journey of actually learning. But what, what happened was in this, in this process of following the call, I was found by the bees. And what I was found by was a tendency or a gift or like a soul power to pollinate things, right? To help things bloom, to help things come to life. And so I started to follow that thread, right? And that led me to a whole lot of other things, but I wanted to tell that first part of the story and see if you want to, you know, say anything before I go on or, or continue on. But, but that was the beginning for me. That was like a very initiatory time and began a very challenging time. A lot of challenging things started to happen in my life after that. Down and down and down I went, right? Like deeper in the labyrinth of who I am and in amidst it, a lot of loss and yeah, the death of my mother. And again, throughout that process, following these threads and starting to meet teachers and mentors, which is something that I find naturally starts to be a, a calling within the calling is who can help me with this? Mm help me with this. Maybe I'll just pause there and see. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I so relate to your experience of motherhood being an initiation, but not really having a framework or a lot of support in that way. I remember being at a naturopath's office and she was like, I think you have postpartum depression. And I remember just like kind of scoffing, like who wouldn't be depressed I mean, I just had a kid and like have no support. I have a loving spouse and my mom is around, but there's no, it was completely ungrounding. And I just couldn't understand like how I think I felt, I mean, there's lots of threads to this, but like just the assumption that it's because you're not like handling it correctly or that you're an anomaly, right? But of course it's an initiatory experience. Like your whole body chemistry just changed. And so I really like how you tie that in. And yeah, I have a question, but I'm going to save it till we hear more about your story. So I hope you'll keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the situation became this 
this journey where I just started to say yes, you know, to, to one calling after another. And the callings weren't necessarily to, well, there was one calling, for example, to do a wilderness immersion for my 40th birthday with soul initiation guides, um, with the Animus Valley Institute. And that was, that was amazing experience where I met my mentor and that was really important, right? I followed a call, but I want to just say like the longings were subtler, you know, it was a longing to belong. It was a longing to feel at home in my body at one point. It was, you know, it was all these different, and those became the, the, the breadcrumbs, you know, what, became really astounding and life-changing for me. And at this point, I was already working with people on, you know, their dreams, so to speak, but in such a different context. Like I was working with people more in the realms of soul-centric business. And it was really coming unraveled for me. Like it was getting really hard for me to do. And what I've come to realize is I was hiding a lot of my real work in what I thought were socially acceptable, like business models. So I had to do a lot of basically dismemberment. I mean, really taking apart all of these things that I was doing and also all these things that I, that I was in the world, a kind of persona. And I don't, and I want to be really honest about how challenging that is and how there isn't always space for it. And that's why I feel that finding mentors is essential. Either if you're interested in that kind of, if you're in that initiatory place, right? And not all initiatory places are like descents are like deep underworld journeys. You know, you can make a big move and it's just a big move and it takes time to adjust and whatever. Other people can have a, a child and it's a big adjustment, but it's not, you know, like that initiation, it has a, a weight to it. It has a feeling of this is different. Something is happening. I need to act on it, you know? And those kind of thresholds, yeah, I'm just so grateful that I've had mentors. And for me, what that's looked at like is soul guides and shamanic practitioners, meditation teachers. But I want to say like, it can also look like someone who you just feel incredibly attracted to. I don't mean like, you know, sexually, but on a soul level, in Gaelic, in my Celtic tradition, we call this Anamkara, you know, the soul friend, someone who just seems to be so kindred to you, right, can really help you. But I guess what I want to also say about my journey is, because it, it's, it's, it's a very long story, you know, but what began to astound me and just like really wake me up to our full potential as humans is the way that spending a lot of time out in nature began to, as well as with my dreams and as well as with some of my shamanic practices, which I can talk about in a little bit, um, how this began to, how, how the earth began to meet me, you know, how the earth began to, you know, mirror and show me who it is that I am, why it is that I'm here. And this this happened again and again and again in different ways and subtle ways, like with the bees. But that ended up becoming just the beginning of an understanding of my mythopoetic identity, which, you know, I can share here. Sometimes I'm tentative about that because it's not something that you can think up. And we're so trained to think 
who am I? And what happens when we, I think, when for me, when I stepped out into nature and I spent a lot of time there and I wandered in an intentional way and I was holding these longings in my heart, is that all of my senses got to be, you know, became more accessible to me. I got out of my head around these questions of what is my calling and what is my destiny and what is my vocation. And I got into my body and I started to, yeah, see, hear, dream, touch, taste, smell. So I, I, I wonder if that makes sense to you, but, or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I pulled a quote that I wanted to share. And this is from something you wrote in your course, Keys to the Garden and the Become the Wild Wanderer section. And it's, it's exactly what you're saying. And I just want to share it. You wrote, quote, the greatest wonder I've received from this practice is that the earth will show us again and again elements of our purpose and innate soul powers. We just have to ask and show up in a reciprocal and respectful manner. She will show us that what we long for longs for us and that we fear fears us. The myriad beings of land, sea, and sky and the elemental forces themselves will respond according to the presence we bring, end quote. Yeah, yeah. I wrote that. (laughs) I know. It's always like, oh, that's actually pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously it is obvious that it's something that you are living. It's not just, again, that you're thinking this up. You really have embodied this. And I'm curious if, and I'm sorry if I'm getting the timeline mixed up, but were you already sort of steeped in your Celtic tradition at the the Bonfasa way, the shamanic practitioner skills that you have was that before your son was born and you were bringing those forward or is that something that comes later if you're open to it I'd love to hear just how that fits in yeah so I was very interested in the world of Celtic spirituality before my son was born but it was new for me and over 20 years ago actually I I learned how to essentially journey with a drum, right? Which is the core practice in most earth-based shamanic cultures. I had originally learned shamanic practices from Huichol medicine man, which is a indigenous Mexican um, tribe. And the man I learned from is actually a, a white man, gringo, as he calls himself, you know, that was taught by a Huichol medicine man. And that man, his name is Elliot Cowan. He wrote Plant Spirit Medicine, which is a fantastic, amazing, important book. And so for 20 years, I sort of, in a very hidden way, I practiced what I had learned with them in terms of journeying to the other world. I've always been someone deeply interested in imagination and the deep imagination and in the mythic and in the presence of spirit and the unseen right? I've always been very interested in the unseen and I've always felt, really felt the animism of the earth, meaning that everything around us is ensouled and alive, right? And that's the core of any shamanic culture, right? Is, is that the world is alive and ensouled. What happened was as I began to, as I began to open to my, my medicine, which has a lot to do with helping remember helping people remember, literally remember who they are, put it back together, <laughs> which sometimes calls for dismemberment as well. So those two are both in there. And also this 
thing of pollination or what I call it, you know, singing flesh on the bones of magnificence. That's, that's a part of my medicine, right? I started to feel into like, where do I feel like I come alive? Because it's like where we come alive, that's vocation, right? That, that is where our medicine can be really well expressed. So a great clue <laughs> or a great way to your medicine or to expressing it is like, what brings me alive? I mean, there's a reason that question is just ubiquitous, right? And this is what brought me alive was this shamanic work, but it didn't feel aligned for me especially in this beautiful time in which we are, we are really facing, yeah, just appropriation and, and colonialism and all this. And, and so I felt called to find out, you know, what for the Celts, because I am like intensely Celtic in terms of my, my, my heritage, you know, but I also am just enamored with, with these cultures. And as soon as I said yes to that, it was just like door after door after door after door started opening both in this world and in the other world, right? So in my journeys, everything started to shift. I started to meet, yeah, the ancestors, yeah, of my people, more forthright. And then, of course, a teacher appeared. One of my, my most beloved teachers is Jane Burns, who I've been apprenticing with for a couple of years now. And she is an elder in shamanic, Celtic shamanic trend, traditions. We don't actually have a word for shaman, you know, in Gaelic. It's, it's not a blanket word. It's a very specific word used by Siberian medicine people for their medicine people. It's been kind of cast out. And I use it because, you know, there is, at times, because it's, you know, it's there, it's people sort of, oh, I recognize that. But more and more, I've just been trying to just use Bonfasa because it is one of actually many words that we have in Gaelic for medicine people in that tradition. And I can say more about what that word means in a minute, but I think uh, what's been so, so interesting and affirming for me is how moving towards this calling has it, it, how it has then moved towards me. So that thing of what you long for longs for you. But I don't want to say that anyone can be a Bonfasa, but I do want to say like, if there's something that you love, if you love to do it more than anything else, then you belong there, right? Like that's where you're supposed to be. So for a long time, I thought, no, I can't be that. No, I couldn't be that. No, I wasn't born there in Ireland this lifetime. No, I, you know what I mean? Until finally, basically, the earth and my guides just banged down my door. I mean, it, to the point where it actually started to feel um, disrespectful to say, no, I'm, I couldn't be that. You know, it just became like a distraction from just dropping into to, to this amazing, you know, delivery system for my gifts, right? But the choice is always ours. And of course, I'm only speaking for myself. There may be cultures, I'm sure there are, who have roles that you have to be, you know, there, you know, there's a very specific process for being invited in. But I think in our culture, we're missing elders. So we have to trust what we love. What we love has to be the elder. Thank you. Yeah. What we love has to be the elder. That's beautiful. I want to hear more about, and this isn't a fully formed question, but I'm really curious. Part of my longing has been wanting to feel a deep 
kinship with the land that I live on, which for the last year or so I've been trying to sort of unravel and feels complicated as a descendant of settlers, as a settler. And I'm curious what you have learned through this tradition in your own experience. I know you live in Western Massachusetts and do wander there and have a relationship to that land. What you know about belonging to a place as a settler, you know, have you considered, I think sometimes about moving back to Germany or Ireland and sort of picking up the pieces along the way and kind of retracing my descendants path and kind of going back. And that doesn't really feel feasible right now, but I wonder a lot about what it means to to be in deep relationship with the earth here. Yeah. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. You know, I did a vision quest last year out in the Sonoran Desert with 12 fellow women and my mentor, two of my, my, two of my mentors. And yeah, there was this beautiful conversation of like, wow, it's a bunch of, you know, here we are, white women, descendants of colonizers here on the sacred land, attempting a modern version of a vision fest. And what does that bring up for us? And well, a lot for sure. <laughs> but I mention it because when you asked me the question, the first thing that came to mind was leaving that conversation with some of my fellow questers and going out on a wander with the land and basically just being really forthright in my apology and also in my intention for being there. Like, and I've done the same thing here on this land to offer our heartfelt apologies and also to offer up our feelings about it. Like to tell the land, this is how I'm feeling about this. And I'm here with you and you are holding me up and feeding me and clothing me and sort of, you know what I mean? It's like, and so this is how I feel. And, I, and also I'm so sorry. In my experience though, the land is not interested in us carrying the load of shame on our backs for eternity. That, that's not something that I feel from the land ever personally. I do come across wounded places. I think we all have, you know, that feeling in the back of your neck. You just feel a sadness in a place and you don't know why. If you feel that, you can make an offering there. You can offer a song. You can offer a prayer that this place find its peace. You can ask if there's a way that you could reharmonize this place or be a part of the reharmonization of this place. For me, it's all about the conversation. I think a lot of times, because we're in such a doing culture, we're trained to think, what do I do here? Instead of how do I be here? You know? So it's like, and what's beautiful is when you start to just be with the land, as you would a, a really, really good friend, then the land starts to be with you, right? Then you start to have those experiences, the, a mystical experience, essentially, which shows you something of your own medicine. Oh, this is how I'm being received by the earth. This is how I'm being experienced by the earth. Wow. Is that true about me? Why? Yes, it is. It is true about me. Oh my gosh. You know? <laughs> so... I don't know if that's helpful, but 
Yeah, it is. I feel like I'm at the beginning of that journey of really just opening up to the conversation I can have that 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 is a real thing that I think has been true for people since humans even evolved. And so, yeah, I'm excited to keep trying it and see what I learn in those conversations. So thank you. Yeah. Maybe I'll just add one more thing to that, which is that I'm really a big fan of intentional time alone in nature with no headphones, no pets, and no other people. Because without that kind of time, it's hard. It's hard to sit there and have a conversation with a tree, you know, or a river or stone. If, you know, your kids are around or your dog's pulling on its leash or you got like Tina Turner, bless her soul, you know. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying though? It's so, and I talk about that a lot in my, in the Keys to the Garden course, you know, in becoming a wild wanderer. So just add that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have a question about soul medicine and culture, and then maybe we can talk mm-hmm. about some specific ways you recommend people sort of discover or are in conversation with theirs. So this is just like, this is limited to my perspective, but so a lot of the people that I know who sort of use this language or are living out their purpose or following their callings and like are very in touch with their unique medicine or contribution that they're here to make are often in doing work that's related to like healing or helping others do that or the arts. I don't know. I can't really think of anyone who would tell me like, I'm very in touch with my soul's medicine and I go, I work like on wall street or I'm a, I don't, I work on an oil rig or something like that. And that's not to say that that can't be true, but something I think about a lot is that I wonder like what the world would look like if even 50% of its people were really attuned to and committed to their soul medicine. It seems like our culture would collapse. I mean, I'm just not, I'm kind of curious if soulful medicine and walking our path and being in conversation with the earth is antithetical to civilization even or capitalism and I have a sense that it is but I wonder if I'm sort of just limited by my perspective do you get that same sense that if we were all answering these callings more regularly that the world and the sort of hum of daily life would look significantly different I hope so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I hope so I think though you you you're pulling on a really important thread which is it must be nice right to be able to go wander in nature it must be nice to be able to just pursue your longing but I've got to do this stuff over here so that's not for me or I'm working on this oil rig and this is how it really is in the world so this is not for me but the miraculous thing is I have met people from every walk of life that you can imagine who I can just feel are living their medicine, whether they've named it or not. And this is something that other soul guides may not agree with me on. They may say, no, no, you have to know. And I do personally feel that if you can name it, if you can understand who you are on a deep level, what your medicine is, 
you can be more empowered in your life and be even more. But man, I have met people throughout my whole life. You can feel it. You can feel when someone is just in it and they could be your plumber. Okay. They could. So this doesn't have to be about, or I, what I want to say is that here's what I've found. The closer we get to our calling, the closer we get to our medicine, the closer we get to understanding that we belong here on this planet, this time, this moment, the more things in our life that don't align with all of that, with what we've discovered about ourselves, with our with that feeling of belonging that we feel out in nature, that we feel with people that are really just, like you said, living their medicine, um, how we feel when we're doing what we love. The other things that certainly are really, really misaligned will, will begin to fall away. And I do know people who have left corporate jobs, who have left the proverbial oil rig because they found out that who they really were. And that was not at all something that they were willing to participate in anymore in that way. I say that with full acknowledgement that I participated in it this morning when I filled up my car. So, you know, I think for me, one thing I always say when I like start with new folks, when I start with a new client is we're going to use the raw material of your life as the raw material of everything we work with. We're not going to do this soul work here and your life is over there where you have the laundry and the children and the bills and the, all the stuff. We have to, I think the first step, and I certainly am far from have the answers, right? But the first step is that soul life begins to be woven again with daily mundane life. That the two stop being a separate thing and we can see how in a lifetime, if we're able to follow our callings, even if we have certain situations in our life that we just can't easily get out of, like a job we really don't like. What I say to people is, if you devote yourself though, even a little bit of time each week to following that calling, eventually you will leave that job. Maybe becoming an entrepreneur, maybe, or maybe you find a job that's way more suited to who you are or like what you need in order to feel good in your life, in order to give your gifts in other areas, in other ways, right? But whatever the future may be for our species, <laughs> we all have the, you know, we all get to have what the poets since, you know, the beginning of time have called a good death, right? Which is one in which we can look back and say, yeah, I followed what called out to me. I followed what I loved. I trusted myself. You know, I did what I, what I could in alignment with what I love. So I don't know if that like answers. <laughs> I don't think there is an answer to your question, no. but, but just to like pull on that thread with you mm-hmm. that, that, yeah, like our daily lives and our medicine, they're not two different things. Mm-hmm. It's like this work has to go together for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you keeping it complex. Yeah. It's so complex. Yes. Yeah, it is. I'm going to so, go get my son later and take him to the doctor and come home and make some turkey meatballs and and try to really listen deeply to what his day was about and you know what I'm saying? So, but what I can do is I can try my best to be to be love story. That's my that's my soul name. I can do my best to 
to sing flesh on the bones of his magnificence, right? I can do my best to to be that one with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where could people start if they don't have a strong sense of what their unique sort of offering is or their their medicine? How you've touched on sort of wandering and connection with nature. Yeah. What are some ways that people can start pulling on these threads and meet life and have life speak back to them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, so what I really feel, and this is because it's what's worked for me and really all those I've worked with and not just in my work, but in the the broader, you know, realms in which I play others bringing this work forth is that you spend time with your, what I would say with your soul every week. And so another way to say it is spend time. I like to say to spend time with your deeper life. And for me, this is a little different than like self-improve. It's very different. Let's just say than self-improvement processing. It could look like grieving for sure. It depends where you are, but the idea is that there's this thread, right? And you spend time every week finding that thread and, and just just, you know, following it, finding the breadcrumb and following it. So again, this could look like starting with what am I longing for right now? And if it's something like material, that's beautiful. I'm all about the spiritual being in the material, but I would also offer to go like, okay, so what's beneath it? So if I'm really longing for a new home, why? Like what's beneath that longing? And then what's beneath that? Like try to really get down to something that is it's a feeling. It's a way that you want to feel. It's a way that you want to be, a way that you want to show up in the world. So I started doing, offering these things called soul dates. <laughs> I call them soul dates. <laughs> so once a week, there are exercises that are specifically designed to help with this work of hearing and heeding your calling, whatever your calling may be at the moment, in an ultimate effort to get closer to your purpose, your mythic identity, your your, uh, your soul, your soul, you know, uh, your soul's identity. So in the expression of your gifts, most importantly, right? So, so I started a membership community for that. It's called the Wild Becoming Sanctuary. And I offer weekly soul dates as well as monthly mini courses on different topics. You know, the upcoming one on the solstice is on shape shifting. So kind of working with that ancient art to see how we might change shape to experience ourselves in different ways. I created that because I think it is hard to find spaces to do this work on a regular basis and doing it on a regular basis is what made the difference for me. So, so the soul dates and, and so one of them is I'll often offer a wander, you know, a a specific exercise for wandering out on the land. I also offer a lot of what I call mythic questions, you know, my favorite being to just ask myself, how is it with my soul today? Or ask someone I love, how is it with your soul today? You know, and just see what happens. Another really important way for me is to to track my seasons, really to track like, I, I live in a place, I moved here partly back here, partly because the seasons are so defined. And being that I'm a Celt and a Celtic medicine woman, I'm inclined to to really lean heavily on the year, the the, the wheel of the year, sorry to instruct me and guide me through the, 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 the hard parts, 
you know, and the blockages as well as to accentuate my powers and, and bring, help me bring my gifts forth. So in the wild becoming century, we're always following the wheel of the year in the Northern hemisphere, but there's lots down there. If people are in the South, there's lots in there for that to, to kind of meet you there. Yeah. Which is another incredible way to not only be in conversation with the earth, but also to strengthen your creative well-being, you know, and it's like everything we do, any change you want to make in your life uh, based on where your longing is taking you is a creative act. And a lot of times what happens is we have the longing, we follow the calling, and then we get stuck somewhere in our creative process. You know, creativity isn't just making a work of art, right? It's, it's creating a home. It's making a baby. It's, you know, breaking up with someone. It all has to go through its creative cycle, right? So we do a lot of that. So living seasonally, no matter where you are in the world, is for me actually a really powerful way to get closer to your destiny, as it were. Lovely. Thank you. Those are all just, yeah, beautiful ways. And I think what strikes me about your story and also sort of reminding us about these important ways to pull that thread or discover that thread is also the patience that it requires <laughs> that sometimes we can't see the pattern or even we can't even see the medicine until we look back and see what we did or how we handled the situation or you know we may not notice that we've been surrounded or visited by bees you know for three weeks until we sort of pause and look back and and so I'm also just thinking about sort of timelines and time frames and how this is lifelong work. And I'm curious if in your experience of other cultures or earth-based practices, if some of this is discovered a lot earlier with less gunk around it through rites of passage or through communities that sort of hold space for this. I'm thinking of, you know, the little that I do know about sort of many indigenous cultures helping adolescents through rites of passages to learn their medicine and have be it reflected back to them by the elders or others in their community. And it seems like a lot of us are sort of trying to piece this together on our own. And it's so beautiful that you have found a tradition to be in. Is it true, I guess, that in our previous histories or in other indigenous cultures today, some of this is done earlier with more intention and finesse or are all is it human nature to sort of be winging it and it could be both at the same time but my sense is that yeah it's a little haphazard for a lot of us that we're we're doing the best we can but we're not inside of a larger context where our medicine is sort of shown or discovered alongside others yeah. And that's a huge reason why I started the membership, you know, the community, because I do feel that there's a need for community around those who want to do this work, right? So that's you. If you are really wanting, you know, you're moved by this conversation or you are in a big initiatory time and you you want it to be kind of more than just, you you sense that there's more to it, right? Than just some life change that the outside world is saying, oh, your life is changing in this way. But you're saying, no, 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 I 
am changing. You know, this we need spaces that can hold us in these ways. One of the other key things that I talk to people about all the time in terms of finding calling is ceremony, self-designed ceremonies, and also being in ceremony with others, sitting in council with others. That's why I do the live monthly council. But to answer your question more forthright, I know that there are cultures that have these rights in place. Very few, sadly, though, have them fully intact anymore. They certainly did exist in certain configurations for the Celts. And just to clarify, I do not work only with Celtic people, right? It's just that that is my lineage of being a soul guide and a shamanic practitioner. But they've been lost. And what it's been replaced with is, you know, prom and getting your first apartment and getting married. And you know what I mean? If that, you know, I don't know. Even those don't have nearly enough ceremony around them. And so, but I don't think it's haphazard. I don't think that, okay? I think that this is, these are, we're talking about a quest, right? We're talking about a quest that we're all on. That is, that is what life really is. And if you look to myth, which I love to look to all the time as instructional, it will show you this quest over and over and over and over again. It is old, it's ancient, and we are all eligible to go on it, right? So yes, it's long, it's winding, it's lifelong, to follow our calling. But in a way, it's like our soul knows already what kind of quest we're on, what kind of quest we came here to undertake. So I think sometimes we have to just get a little bit out of our own way, the way of the ego who says, well, how do I do this thing of finding my purpose? And again, coming back into contact with all of your senses, undertaking practices that tend to evoke our soul's purpose, our medicine, our powers. There's a really great book by Bill Plotkin who who, um, founded the Animus Valley Institute called Soulcraft. That's a great book. That's a good way in. The other thing that I encourage to everyone I work with in my one-on-one mentorship program and in the in the community. That's very new, by the way. So I'm really excited about it. And, you know, still still creating it. You know, we're co-creating it, is to journal, like to really journal, or if like voice memos work better, or if you draw or collage. But the idea is to document what's happening. Because like you said, in the moment, it's hard to track, it's hard to understand. This whole thing of the instant gratification, you should know right away, does not apply to the soul quest. It does not apply. It's like I've, I have had journeys in the other world that then materialized in the day world that then became a dream that then manifested and made sense two years later. You know what I mean? And it's amazing to look back and have those, oh my gosh, aha moments, they call them, you know? So if you can record things like that are happening to you, that, that's a very good thing. Mm, thank you. This has been such a lovely conversation. Yeah. I feel like I've learned so much and I'm chewing on things differently already. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you want to make sure and leave folks with? I think that's all. I do have this like short quote that I could read that might be a good, a good end. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's actually part of a poem by David White called All the True Vows. It's like a section of it. 
There's only one life you can call your own and a thousand other lives you can call by any name you want. Hold to the truth you make every day with your own body. Don't turn your face away. Hold to the truth at the center of the image you were born with. Thank you. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Amanda, for being here with us today. How can people reach out to you or connect with the community that you're building? What are the best ways for them to continue? So you can find me at bombalore.com. I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. And the Wild Becoming Sanctuary, I'll give you a link to that too, to include that you can, you can look into that. I also offer what I call the Wild Becoming Immersion, which is a five-month one-on-one mentorship. And that's a really deep holding. So I love that. I love both spaces. I also offer one-time shamanic healing sessions as well. So you can find that all on my website. And uh, I'm on Instagram too. And yeah, it's been a complete pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and much love and blessings. Banakti to all those wonderful folks out there who may listen to this today. Mm, Thank you. Yeah, I'll put all those in the show notes. Okay, my friend, I hope that you loved that episode, that conversation, and that you feel recommitted to answering the calls that you're getting from life right now, right around you. I hope you'll keep going in that way, and I really encourage you to check out Amanda's work. Take such good care. I'll see you on the other side. Bye.